Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is Business of Design, your go-to resource for everything they didn't teach you in design school. We are already at episode 59, which kind of blows my mind. The time has gone so quickly. Then again, Business of Design uh, launched in 2005. Uh, Our first volume, Business of Design, Have the Professional Life You've Always Wanted, launched in 2009. And I have to say, although Business of Design is my passion project, I make a living the exact same way that you do, designing, building, and decorating homes. So Business of Design is a side hustle. It's been extremely gratifying work, and it is a privilege and an honor to talk business of design with members across the globe and hear how our systems and procedures, and particularly business of design's 15-step project management strategy is changing businesses and lives for the better. So thank you so much for making us a part of your success strategy. In episode 59, you're going to hear an informal roundup we just held in Los Angeles last week. The sound quality is a little bit sketchy at times. The showroom was busy and we were banging mics, etc. But the editors tell me that they have minimized the blips as best they can. We have another meetup scheduled for June 14th in New York City at Fuego. If you'd like to attend, we would love to have you there. Please register at businessofdesign.com. We do have a limited seating capacity, and we are partnering with Fuego and the interior design community, so we're expecting a full turnout. The LA meetup was very casual, and it allowed us the opportunity to do a few things. Number one, it, it gave me the opportunity to meet people in real life, which was so amazing. People I've known for years through social media, in fact. And two, it provided an opportunity for business of design fans some who only know us through the podcast to ask some questions that they have. And number three, at the very end of it, we're always excited that we like to encourage the group in the room to become part of a local support group. I try to remember to do this every time we have a meetup or a seminar um, because you're all together, you're all excited about growing your businesses, and here's a group of people who think like you do. And so you'll hear at the end, I encourage them to get together on a monthly basis. And uh, we have a couple of groups that have been going strong since 2006. So these support groups can be life-saving and really do matter. Before we launch right into the questions from the LA group, a little housekeeping. The Palm Springs Elite Retreat, October 18th to 21st, has a soft sold out sign on it. Uh, That means that we're taking names on a waiting list in case anyone's travel plans change. We'll make sure to fill the extra spots. If you're interested, please get on our waiting list at businessofdesign.com. Cheryl Horn will hook you up. I already mentioned the June 14th event in New York City. Sign up for that ASAP. And if you are in the Dallas, Houston, or Austin area, and you'd like to help us create a Business of Design meetup, 
We would love to make that happen. Let us know you're there. I've got a really close friend, in fact, my oldest friend uh, in Dallas, and I need an excuse to go and visit her. So uh, help me do that, if you will. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate business challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses plus Kimberly Selden as your mentor and guide. Unlike traditional coaching, which can take years to produce tangible results, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $67.50. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. Uh, You're in the right place. This is Business of Design, episode 59, and we are coming to you live from Los Angeles and the Kravitz Showroom. Yay! <laughs> Reluctantly, they're like applauding for us in the middle of the showroom. But we're really happy to be doing this. Thank you to Joanne, is it Dosick, who suggested we meet in real life. You're in Manhattan Beach, I'm in Santa Monica. We're like, this is crazy, we're so close, why don't we hang out? And here we are hanging out. I thought it was funny when I came in, I immediately did some sourcing for client fabrics and pulled some. And Christina, who signed up to be here today, you came in and did the same thing. You started sourcing for fabrics. So it made sense that we came to Kravitz since we use them as a resource all the time. And let's be honest, it's one of the few trade resources that is actually protective somewhat of the proprietary work that we do. So we appreciate it and we want to give back. And they gave us wine. So hello. So um, Janine, you want to say hi? Janine Laudenbeck is our program specialist. If you came with us to High Point, you, you already met Janine. But Hello, everyone. It's great to be here. And I love that we're here at Kravitz and we can talk about sourcing and some of the other questions that you all have. As you know, Kimberly Selden and Business of Design is a great tool for us all to use as we look at ways to improve our business. So we're excited to be here. So this is casual, you guys. This is meant to be your time. There's nothing really scripted or steady. Come on in. You're you're not late. Help yours walk. I I recommend you walk this way and grab wine on your way to finding a chair. Um, You're not stranded in your seats either. At any point you want to get up and get more wine or anything. Hi. How are you? Okay, good. Okay, so thank you so much for uh, meeting all of us and and being here and answering our questions. Um, First question I have is very rudimental. Uh, It comes to the the consultation. Okay, you get someone to finally pay for your consultation. You meet with them, and you realize you don't want to work with them. (laughs) Do you give them back the money? Do you refund them? Do you? How do you handle that? If you meet with the client and you don't want to work with them, how do you deal with that? The reality is when I go to that consultation, I am keen to give them vital information that is useful and helpful. So if I have done my job in two hours, I've given them a ton of good information that they can use. I don't owe them a return of that information. That consultation is a look-see that's been paid for. Lots of LA designers go to look-sees. I think that's a really bad practice. I don't think you get very many projects when you go to look-sees. If you stop going to look-sees, when you go to the consultation, you get 99% of the jobs, right? Has anybody else had that experience? You went from, so nodding heads. How do you, how do you tell the client this is not going to work out? 
really hard to do. So I've had two experiences where I had to face it head on. One was a couple and they kept bickering during the consultation and in particular he belittled her. Like she would say something, he'd go, well, of course she wants that. She doesn't have to pay for it, stuff like that. So at the end of that consultation, it was one of the most uncomfortable, two, I can think two times, one of the most uncomfortable things I ever had to do. But I said, I don't think we're the right firm for you. And they said, why not? And I said, I don't think you guys are on the same page. And I can't have my staff in the middle of a feud so you guys need some things to work out and then call us back. And they were really embarrassed and it was really hard to say. But doesn't that just go back to being disciplined, not doing what you know you shouldn't do? And it was really easy for me to do that on one level because I had a lot of work. Where it's really a hard thing is when you don't have enough work. Because you don't have enough work and you damn well know you shouldn't take that job and you go, I'm just gonna do it because I need the work. And I've done that before and I've suffered um, and I'm not saying you should never do it because when you need the work and you need the money, you're, you're going to take the job. But you do need to at least put it out there that, you know, so in that case, let's say I had to take the job, I would definitely say I need to know which one of you is the point person. Only one of you is the point person. And whatever that person says is the law. And if the other one doesn't like it, don't talk to me. Talk to her or talk to him. And then the other time, and I've probably told the story before, I we went to a house. The woman had about nine dogs, and I love dogs. But as we went room by room, there was dog dew in every room on the floor, like old dew, new dew, wow. <laughs> dew on dew. I mean, it was terrifying, right? <laughs> Mildew, yeah. So I had to say at the end, which was really hard, I'm so sorry, there's no way I can have my staff in here with all the dogs. And she practically cried and said, I'll put them in the kitchen. And I said, it's really not that. I said, it just, you know, there's something going on here and you're going to have to deal with it before you decorate. There's no point decorating and having... <laughs> dog smear on the new carpet. What, what kind of carpet prevents dog poo? None. So, right? So it sounds like you're just saying be honest. Whatever, be honest. Just whatever the issue is that you feel, yeah. just be honest. Yeah. Okay. The easiest thing is we're not right for you. We're not the right firm for you, but then you better be able to back it up with right. why you're not the right firm for them. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Good yeah. one. Who's next? You guys are being super polite. There's obviously have not had enough wine. When you're working with a lovely, lovely client... Yeah. And every time you go to their home, you notice the odor of pet urine. And they don't want to replace certain rugs. What do you say? You like, know what? And I don't want to sell a rug just to make a profit. I'm trying mm -hmm. to help them. And what do you say? You say, I wouldn't, in good conscience, sell you an expensive carpet when it's just going to be fouled by a pet. No, the pet has passed away. Oh, dear. That's even oh. sad. Well, then I would say it's time to replace everything because, quite frankly, there's a scent. I can smell it. I'm sorry. I know that's hard to hear. Okay. Right? Her eyes okay. got really big. I know. Okay. This is not TV, so you can't though. tell. I have a thought. Oh, yeah. So we have, we have a darling little Bichon Shih Tzu cross who has terrible potty manners, and he has ba a bad habit of leaving me gifts. And so... Over the t over time, I finally got down to like, okay, I've got to get rid of this. So we found the thing that would work, and we went with a black light, and went through and like shown a light, and you can see like the different spots. So it might be Ooh. effective to actually, like, I'm not, you know, with, I'm sorry, I, this is hard to hear, but mm -hmm. perhaps we should take a look. I'd like to show you, you know, why I'm 
seeing, smelling yeah. the smell. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Just an idea. Just as an idea. That's a good one. Wow. So many delicate situations. You're, you feel so close to your clients and you certainly don't want to offend. But I there's know. I know. T- I, we had a client subjects. once open the door in his tidy whities I'm like, what? What are you doing? Like, what, what's happened to you? You have pants, you have pajamas, you have a robe, we're at your house. What's, what's going on here? Like, he's like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm just, you know, going here. Like, oh my God. Like, going to be very fast friends, yeah, aren't you? Change the subject really quickly, somebody. Everybody's, yes. Someone's going to steer their car off the road when they hear this. <laughs> so, um, Ta- wait, I, tell us your name. My name is Tawny. Where Peter, are you from? Peterson. I'm from Fresno, California. Awesome. Alchemy Interiors. Um, I just launched in January. Yay! Thank you. So my entire model is structured pretty much on everything I've learned from business of design. And I was fortunate enough to find you before I even started my company. So that was great. Yeah. Um, But now I'm running into situations where, of course, I'm not starting out with like nuts to finish remodels. I have little pieces. And I do have subs that I use, but I haven't yet worked on a project where I had to work with their general. And so I just this week actually did uh, a job where that was the case. They already had a general that, and they wanted to go with them. They were comfortable. So I haven't done that yet. And I would be really curious to get yours and anyone's insight as to how do you bill that in terms of are you billing for finishes how are you dividing like what am I purchasing what are you purchasing how much where does that line come down is that something you all talk about in advance or yeah Yeah. you know the kind of general rule I would go from is whoever does the hiring is the lead so if I got hired after the fact by the contractor the contractor would be the lead of the project, as far as I'm concerned. But if I'm the first one in and then I choose the contractor, then I'm the lead on the project. In those situations where the client has already got a builder or a contractor, you're kind of your own independent person, right? But that other team that's on the job or multiple teams that's on the job can have a really big impact, sometimes positive and sometimes negative. Hi, how are you? Right? On on you. So... I, you know, just like I said at the beginning, part of what you have to do, unfortunately, and you should have this discipline anyway, is just make sure everything you discuss is in writing and you cover yourself all the time. Clarify, verify, uh, confirm, double check, triple check, because with when, and I always tell clients this, if you have multiple teams on site, it will not go as smoothly as if you have a single team on site. There's no way it could work as seamlessly, right? Same situation, and I came on to a project as the second designer. So, so the first designer got fired? Yes. Um, and so, so wait a minute, we get fired sometimes? <laughs> oh, nervous laughter throughout the room. Yeah, go ahead. Tell me so, your name first. Ann Carr. Hi, Ann. Hi. Nice to meet you. Um, so anyway, the builder was sort of the lead person. He, he was showing me the ropes and sort of telling me, you know, whispering about what happened to the other designer. But so we worked out this agreement that he or I choose all the finishes and I get bill I bill hourly for that and he orders it so I don't know what he's marking up but then as soon as we switch over to furnishings then I can do the markup and the hourly that seems that seems sort of reasonable but, but it takes a lot of time to choose all the finishes 
you know, so it did add up. It is a negotiation. And what you, what you proposed, and sounds pretty reasonable to me. So when I hire a GC on a big job, because we've got a few full design builds right now with our GC, the GC and I will kind of negotiate on the beginning who's going to get what trades. I have a painter who's worked with me since 1991. I always want my painter. And the contractor's like, I don't care. You can have the painter, but I want my Tyler. I don't care. You can have the Tyler. I, for some reason, can never find a good... My Tyler's are always crazy. I don't know why. So we kind of do this little dance. But you're right. Typically, the cutoff point would be when it gets to furnishings or whatever. And the only reason I wouldn't let the contractors... Well, there's a lot of reasons I wouldn't let the contractors do everything. For I've had many situations where the contractor was supposed to order a tile and didn't order it in time, and the whole project comes to a grinding halt, and the client's mad at me because it's not done. Well, if I had been in charge of the ordering, we would have ordered the damn tile, and it would be sitting here when we needed it. That's number one. But number two, we have this situation where we used to, years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, we would let the contractor order things like tile and those hard surfaces, those hard manly services, you know. And we had a problem with one of the tiles after it was installed, and I went back to the tile store to say there was a problem, and they're like, who are you? And I'm like, well, we're Kimberly Sullivan, we bought this tile, wait a minute, you didn't buy the tile, we don't know you. Mm-hmm. Oh, so-and-so contractor bought it, well, he's not here, where is he? And, that, and I realized at that moment that that tile store had no relationship with me, and therefore mm-hmm. they were not invested in making me happy. Where if I, if I work a, often with a company and they get to know me, like Kravit or whatever, and I call them and I say there's a problem, they go, oh, she's, got, she's a good customer, we're going to take care of her. So there's a real advantage to being able to do your own procurement, but in California it's a little tricky, right? Because you really need your contractor's license. And we have a contractor that we know very well, and we've been talking to him about doing a podcast about how whether or not designers should become contractors, what's involved. It seems like it's a fairly simple test that we'd have to take, which would only enhance our knowledge and you pay a fee. So if that's all it takes to make sure that we can, okay, we're going to go offside about that. But we're actually working on all these details now with a, with a couple of builders and with a lawyer. So we'll, I'm going to ask you about that for sure. Um, but you do have to do a bit of negotiation. I will spend hours, say, with someone doing all the um, appliances, and he'll want to order it from his contact and not mine, who doesn't get paid then. And so it, it has gotten tricky. I'm not saying it's foolproof at all. But that's what we yeah. arranged. So you, you know, you want to stay in your integrity all the time. And when you're talking to the supplier of those appliances, you, you mean you can just be straight up with them. I don't know if you're going to get the order. So I'm going to use you because you're my guy. And I hope you get the order. But I don't know if you're going to get the order. I just made sure she got another order. Right. right exactly. After. Exactly. So you just stay in integrity. Okay. Does that make sense? I think what we know is that conversation between designer and contractor is going to happen. It's a matter of whether or not you're proactive or reactive. And so it's different with every situation, I'm sure. And, you know, it's always a good idea this, um, It's always a good idea to have a conversation directly with the contractor. We both want to make the client happy. Can we both look good on this job? Is there a reason I need to be under the bus and you need to be driving the bus? Could we not both be on the bus with the clients looking happy? Um, and, you know, there are times when I've had that conversation with builders and things have gotten better, and then there are times when I just simply can't work with the builder. And, no, I refuse to have a conversation with your builder. I'm just not going to be fruitful. 
So it's, it's challenging, right? Which always comes back to, for me, then you've got to set yourself up. I think I want to set myself up in a way that ensures I'm going to be successful. And that means a contract that protects me. So I'm not afraid of litigation. And it means processes and systems so, so that I know exactly what to do when X happens, because I guarantee you X will happen. It always happens. Okay. Any more questions from the floor? Yes. Hi, I have a question about contracts, actually. Um, I am a little bit super nerdy when it comes to contracts, almost to overkill to where I'm like going over and over and over every aspect of my contract to where I'm almost scaring the client off because I'm very protective in the very beginning. Um, And I wonder, and I've heard even on your show that um, it was another designer. It was a famous designer from um, Miami, I think. And he said, the truth is your contract isn't worth the paper it's written on. If somebody wants to sue you, they're going to sue you or you're going to be pulled into a lawsuit. And what really is the truth about how protected we are by our contract, what parts really protect us and what is just overkill? Like what is really, like how protected do we get to feel by our contract. So that was Stephen G, and he's 100% right. And it's the reason that I go ballistic when I hear people say, don't buy anything on behalf of your clients. Let your clients buy it directly because then you will have no issues ever getting sued. It's simply not true. When it gets to the point that there's litigation, it becomes a whole different animal where the it's between insurance companies. It's a fight at that point it's a fight between insurance companies if you're lucky and you have insurance. If you don't have insurance, it's a fight between an insurance company and your personal assets. Your home, your car, your shoes. <laughs> so I can't recommend strongly enough that you charge enough so that you don't even think about buying insurance. It's something you have to have to do your business. The fact of the matter is you could do nothing wrong. You could be 100% right and you can still get sued and you will have to get a lawyer to defend yourself. And that's a reality of doing business. I think my contract is bulletproof. I really do. And I've had a lot of clients who are lawyers who tell me like it's kind of genius, but it's written for a third grader. And that's really important because if the client could say, I didn't understand what was going to happen in the event, blah, 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 you're in trouble because it will always go, the judgment will always go to that poor consumer who got screwed by the big time designer. But if it's written for a third grader, The rules are so clear, nobody could say, I didn't understand how this was going to work. And I have had experience where I took someone to small claims court and I had my contract vetted and verified by the person there and made some changes based on that. And I've had lots of experiences where people have called business of design for my one hour coaching call because they were afraid they were going to get sued. Something bad happened and the clients immediately said, I'm going to call my lawyer and that's terrifying and you don't want that. Mostly you don't ever want anyone to say that to you because you never want to have done anything that would lead to that. But I've seen situations where the designer had absolutely nothing to do with anything and they are still named in the lawsuit because the insurance company says that designer's insurance is a good company. There's a lot of money there. It's not fair, but it is the truth. 
I wanted to interject a little bit too. Um, can business of design help the designer with a bulletproof contract? Yeah, I mean the contract is there, right? It's uh, the, there's a master course, um, not only the hourly fee contract but the flat fee contract. I know a ton of people who use my contract. I've never had a situation where somebody said I'm going to sue you. Now, the reality is. I also have buttoned up the systems so that clients are well aware of where things are at. Because what do clients care about? The same two things all the time, money and time. That's all they care about. We care about it's going to be beautiful, the drapes are going to be stunning, it's going to be in a magazine, I want it to be on HGTV, but the clients aren't thinking about that. They're thinking about time and money. So your contract needs to address time and money issues in a way that's linear and logical and systematic. So even if you don't get sued, the contract really helps the designer communicate with the client and to manage those expectations. And one of the things I say all the time about a good contract, it's a disincentive to litigation. It's a disincentive. Because it's different in Canada, I think, than it is in the U.S., and other countries. Business of Design now has members in 45 countries, which I can't believe. But in Canada, if you sue someone frivolously, you can be responsible for their legal fees, which is a great rule. It's an awesome rule. So people don't just litigate all the time. They think, do I have a serious case against this person? Am I going to win? Because if you don't win, suddenly you're going to have to be paying everybody else's fees. In the U.S., it's not like that. I'm gonna, it's a shotgun. I'm going to um, sue everybody and see how many pockets I can tap into. It's not nice and it's not fair, but it's the truth, right? So the contract has a lot of advantages, not just in eliminating the possibility or minimizing litigation, but in yeah. communicating with your client. It should, it, it should uh, cleanly state the process for working for you from step 1 to 15 uh, in, a, in a logical, systematic fashion. And the client should always know. I, I literally have clients say to me, I know, I know, we're just on step 6. We're just on step 6. I'm just, I know, I know, I know. But I'm getting excited about step you know, 9. So you list the steps in your contract. Absolutely. Yeah. And what clients say to me over and over and over again is, Oh my God, I'm so happy to work with you because the last designer I worked for, worked with, was lovely, always. It's all, right? Have you, you guys have been the second one in? Do they ever say she was horrible? They always say she was lovely, but she was disorganized. We never knew when it was going to be done. We never knew how much it was going to cost, right? Does that sound right? Okay. You guys have been the second designer in many times, right? Everybody's shaking their head. Yeah, we're often the second designer in, and often they'll say, we tried to go with someone less expensive, and now you're here to fix it. And great, that's fine. Okay, any more questions from the floor? Do you want to take one from we'll the... We'll take one. Okay, so um, this is from Joanne, and Joanne is, asking, <laughs> Joanne is asking when and how to hire an assistant and how to manage them. Okay, so first of all, what's an assistant? What's an assistant? Define an assistant. Who's, who knows what an assistant is? If you could snap your fingers right now and have an assistant, what would your assistant do for you? Read your mind. Read your mind. <laughs> <laughs> my house, my laundry. <laughs> laundry. Okay, it's so funny you said that. Most assistants end up cleaning the house and doing laundry and cleaning the library and going on a coffee run, right? Most, assist, most people, when you hire someone, they end up being a glorified gopher. Isn't that true? A true assistant is going to be billable hours. 
That's what you want an assistant for. If it's not billable, you don't want an assistant. They're too expensive. So it has to be billable hours. And the only way they can be effective at billable hours, in my experience, is if you have your systems and procedures written down so they know what the heck they're supposed to do. Because otherwise, I will share the most familiar example. You guys will all get this. You're totally overwhelmed. Your business is growing. This is a great thing. Oh my God, I need an assistant. I, it's going to change my life. An extra pair of hands. And then that person comes in and you're looking at your desk and there's piles of stuff on your desk and there's 28 projects going on and you can't breathe. And I'm like, this is me, right? I'm close to having a panic attack. And the assistant says, what can I do? She's dying to be helpful. And I say, well, I'm going to get you to do this right here for Mrs. Smith. But first I have to do that to it. So just, I'll do that later. No, you know, I'm going to have you do this right here for Diana Jones. But you know what? No, it's too hard. I can't explain that right now. So don't, does that, <laughs> right? Is that not, is that the God's well, it, truth? This is filing and piles. Yeah. Okay. Can you just put these files away? Where do they go? I don't, I don't, just <laughs> shove them in a drawer. I don't know where they go. Right? So the assistant is no good to you until you have clear written instructions for how, what they're supposed to be doing. They can't make you happy. I had a revolving door at Kimberly Salem Design Group. We were so busy. I had, I have had three of my own TV series in Canada. So the phone's ringing off the hook. I have 13, 14 staff at a time. They are qu quitting every six months. Every six months. And they say the same thing. We really love you. I learned so much, but I don't know how to make you happy. And I'd be like, I'm always happy. What do you mean? I'm <laughs> so to God, I'd be like, I'm happy now. Why, why are you quitting? Like, I thought you loved me. I love you, you know? And they would always say, I don't know how to make you happy. It's because I would say, could you file that for me? And they would put it in the drawer. And that isn't how I wanted it. And so somehow or other, I would either come in and stay till midnight and I would put it where I want it and they would see that I corrected them or I would say, you know, that isn't where I want it. I really wanted it over there. So no matter what I asked them to do, they failed. They fail, they fail, they fail, they fail. And I remember just getting to the point where I had gone through the, you know, 88th member of the team and I thought, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. I can't. Why bother training them when they're going to quit in six months? So they all became like glorified coffee runners. Go return these fabrics. Go pick up this blah, blah, blah. We need light bulbs at Mrs. Jones's house. So go pick up the light bulb. These are tasks you can hire TaskRabbit for. You don't need to have an assistant on your payroll to do that stuff. So for me and my experience, when I started writing down systems, and I'll tell you one of the systems that made it all come together for us. It had to do with fabric. We had, one day we looked down in our basement was where our fulfillment room was, and we had like 68 bolts of fabric down there. And I'm like, where is the fabric for Mrs. Jones' sofa? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. We're digging through fabrics, we're throwing fabrics, we're lifting and lugging fabrics, like a lumberjack log roll thing going on in the basement. <laughs> Nobody can find Mrs. Jones' fabrics, and I'm like, we've gotta have a system for tagging these fabrics. Why do we have this pile of fabrics in a basement and we don't know where it's going? So somebody said at that point, we had already started writing down a few of our systems. I'll write a uh, operations page for how to tag fabrics. It sounds so dumb. It was life 
changing. When a fabric comes in, you verify it's the right fabric, it's the right quantity. Then you type up a label. The label is exactly like this. The name of the client, the room it's going for, the item it's going for, where is the fabric getting shipped to? Because it's not living in our basement. It's supposed to go out to the drapery maker or the upholstery maker or the, the we know, whatever. It was so, once we wrote it down, interns could tag fabrics. We could say to the interns, here's the page from the operations manual. We need all the basement fabrics tagged. Boom. It became the idiot's guide to tagging fabric. Once I started writing a system, those systems down, one at a time, I realized these systems actually are life-changing. And then one system led to the next system and the next system and the next system. With regards to like having systems in place, do you use any of the sort of online software like Ivy or Studio Webware or Designer or whatever it's called now? Because I'm trying to sort of organize my own systems and I'm just using spreadsheets and adding like inserting imagery just to kind of, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't really know what the best thing to do is yeah. or whether those programs are actually worth investing the money in? I think all of those programs might be great and might be worth investing the money in, but Excel and Word work perfectly fine. You still need a system for entering the information, for transferring the information to a client estimate, a client purchase or a supplier purchase order, and then a client invoice. And all of those documents in Excel and Word are part of, of their on business of design. That's, we offer those. You can take the things, the tools we've created and download them. Typically, they're in PDF and Word or and Excel, so you can take our logo off and add your logo. I hear a lot of people sort of, and not you, but I, we heard a lot of this at High Point. They think somehow that these, these software packages are going to streamline their business. They're not. Your business has to be streamlined before it's streamlined, and the only way to streamline it is systems and procedures. And there's just no, if you want to play the violin, you practice the scales over and over and over and over until your fingers are bleeding, and you make some wrong notes, and you go back and you try again. And it takes years, and one day you look up and you go, I'm, I'm amazing at playing the violin. Like I feel like I'm amazing at running my business where I couldn't play one note. 15 years ago, not a single note. So these systems are awesome, um, but I think they're something you incorporate after you have your other systems in place. Plus, in my experience, it's a, it's a very big, steep learning curve to make them happen. So a lot of people buy them, and then it's like a gym membership. You go, ah, ah, that hurts. I'll do it next month. And then they sit there and they languish. So I would much rather see people you know, use an abacus um, until, <laughs> until they have their systems and procedures straight, right? Um, you mentioned the Excel sheet. I use Excel, um, and I have been told by a couple of clients that I give way too much information. Oh. And it's scary. Okay. And I haven't figured out how to minimize it to give them all the information. Okay. In addition to that, I don't think I've actually figured out the best way to present Okay, so in order, somebody I talked to, to about this, when you join Business of Design and you actually join the membership uh, monthly or annual, and the difference is with annual, you get a copy, where you get the full copy of my contract for hourly fees and flat fees. With the monthly, you get it, but you get it one paragraph at a time. With the annual, you can just download the contract. It's kind of complicated. Um, but the key is to start at the beginning. So 
within the business of design, we do work. We show you how to do a worksheet, which turns into a purchase order, a client estimate, and a client is, uh, invoice. One document that answers all those questions and exactly what kind of information should go in there. I gr agree. When you're when you're presenting the way that we do at business of design, you're presenting a whole house top to bottom. It's a lot of information. You want to strategically give the clients the information that they need without overwhelming them with details like this is fabric EDF 476982-07 version 3. <laughs> like they don't need that. I'm a little stuck between the old ways and the new ways in presenting, you know, and what describe the old way for us too, just because some people will well, relate. Originally it was like on a big poster board with fabric stapled on it and pictures of things oh, like, like a mood board. A mood board. Right. And now I'm doing like photographs or printed photographs from mm -hmm. the internet. And some of my clients like don't like that. And I'm just wondering what everyone else does. Okay. So I'm, I, I feel like I'm hammering these points, but if you take the steps in order, one, two, three, four, five, I'll show you exactly how we do the presentation, okay. including the thing we show them first, the thing we show them second, the thing we show them third, and how we present it. The only thing that's changed from that is more and more we're able to do digitally because it's become so easy rather than printing a 300 page color right. document. We can pull up our iPad or we can pull up our computer. But the truth is for me, we always print anyway because it is, um, it's a backup in case internet's down or their Wi-Fi is no good or you know what I mean? Um, so, so it's worth, it's worth right. doing it and showing them like a really, but what about things like tiles and it's all in there, like okay. exactly so when to not, present you're those. not showing them the actual tile. So, oh yeah, oh, for oh. sure. With something like a tile, they'd want to see it, right. but with something like a refrigerator, a picture will have to do. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. right. Um, with a piece of hardware, if I can borrow a piece of hardware and show it to them, I will. If I can't, I might borrow a little sample uh, disc to of show the finish, them of yeah. the finish. Or, you know, occasionally after we're done and they've done a deposit, I might say, let's go to the uh, hardware store and we'll meet there and we just make sure you like the finish. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. But it's very, like, nothing is left to chance and everything is designed so that you start at step one and you get off at step 15 and you never get off in the middle because 90% of projects get off in the middle. And that's when we get hired after somebody else has been in, right? It's already in the middle. There's already things in place. And you're like, I wish that wasn't here. I wish I didn't have to work around that elephant in the room, right? In terms of delineating systems and keeping them all in one place, is there is there a resource that you've come across that you're like I can't do without this technology? Dropbox. Like, okay. Dropbox. It's cloud sharing. I'm I'm here in LA today. Kathy's working in Toronto. Victoria's in Toronto. Someone else who does drawings for us is in British Columbia. Um, we don't have to be in the same town. We jump we jump on a Zoom call, and we're sharing files across um, countries. And my business just keeps humming. And whenever, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I just jump into Dropbox and I know where everything is. But even that is so funny. Our Dropbox is organized in a very specific way because suddenly we had 100 files in there and I couldn't find Mrs. Jones' file of her townhouse because one person had put it under uh, Diana and one person had put it under Jones and somebody had put it under townhouse. And so there's even an anal system for the way that Dropbox is organized, believe it or not. It's crazy. 
na- it's a naming convention. It's protocols. It's a style guide when you work in the magazine world. It's a style guide. All these systems I thought were a pain in the butt, and I thought they would take too much time, and they would stop me from doing the thing that I was good at. Yes, they were hard to create in the beginning because I was inventing the wheel. Like, oh, there was nobody that could help me do it because people were doing it the same way for so long and telling, giving each other bad information. So, and even now I kind of, there's so many coaches and so many mentors and I just, you know, if it sounds too easy, it's probably too easy. If it sounds, you know, if it sounds like they've never had a client with budgets, they probably never have had a client with budgets. It's very different reading about brain surgery and performing brain surgery. Like, I want to get advice from people who are in the trenches with me doing it the way that I'm doing it every single day. I just have a question about um, about markup and what is air quotes retail. So I know that we get designer off of like retail, but I also know that if the client were to call that store, they're also getting, you know, so when I tell them in an invoice, oh, look, here's, here's your discount off of retail, if they can get the same price. Right. Does that come up for you ever? Or how do you deal with that? And the kind of abstract air quotes retail. I find that clients appreciate the fact that they don't have to do it. My perfect client is a client who doesn't want to lift a finger. That's my dream job. I don't want the client who's like, oh my God, I totally wanted to be a designer. Can I hang around with you? Like, no, we are not friends. You're You're not coming with me. Right? I don't want that client. I want the client who doesn't want to lift a finger. And the sharing of the discount is a bonus. It's a bonus. Right? So my value is not that I share discounts. That is not the value I bring. I create a result that clients want. That result costs X number of dollars. And as a way of making it reasonable and fair and of putting us on the same team, we share our discounts. That does a lot of things for me. It means I can be transparent. I never have to worry that a client's going to ask me for an original invoice. Help yourself. We tell clients, you show up at the office Monday to Friday, 9 to 5.30. If you want to see original invoices, we'll show you where the files are. You can go through them and you can check. And we have had a couple times where clients have come to see original invoices. Perfectly fine. Don't bother me at all. I hear so many people on Facebook saying, can you believe it? They wanted to know how much the shipping was really and I'm like, yeah, I can believe it. I actually, like, if you know for sure that clients are going to ask you, then be ready with an answer that's reasonable, right? We, we so much, are, sometimes we're so like, how dare they ask me that? And if I'm the client, I might ask it too. So if you know they're going to ask, be ready. Don't let them ask. Tell them before they even ask. That's, what, that's why the contract has those extra pages on it. This has gotten heavy, you guys. It's so, it's Lucy, right? Sandra, Sandra so close. <laughs> Where's Lucy? You're Lucy. Okay. I am obviously not doing the 15 steps exactly where I wouldn't have this question, but at what point do you stop kind of like the back and forth with the client? So we're doing our presentations somewhat similarly, and we have it all planned and all works together, like enough wood and metal and whatever this combination. And then all of a sudden, like, they don't want that chair. And all of a sudden, the table doesn't really work because you don't want to have three black things in the room. And then you swap out the chair, and they have to change the table. But then they want a table with two. It's like, it feels like this never-ending it's thing. A, it's a we domino. charge hourly, thank God, so it's, like, not that big of a deal. But yeah, it yeah. just makes us look unorganized. Yeah. Things drag on. Where do you just draw the line? Our contract says we do two revisions, but you can't just say, 
Sorry, you have to pick one of these. Okay, so your contract has one revision too many. Okay. Um, <laughs> and if you charge by the hour, they can do 500 revisions because you just charge by the hour. Sure. So you don't even need that in an hourly fee contract. You right. need that in a flat fee contract. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I cut myself right now and bleed on the floor, will this be over? Yeah, I understand. Um, okay, so so I I that doesn't happen anymore because we tell the clients we're heavily we're front end loaded, meaning there's a very big investment up front. So by the time we get to the presentation, all the client is thinking is I want to write a check and place the orders so this stops because it's expensive. Sure. They're not thinking I'm going to swap this and that. We just don't have that problem. We used to have that problem when we left open-ended pieces. But well, we when, don't though. I mean, maybe our designs are just bad, but no, I feel like it impossible. works. No, it works no, well. But there's just still little things. At what point things. do they want to swap the chair? What, it went exactly. So we don't get a the, we don't get a check the day of the presentation. Okay, that's where I'd start working okay. right there. Okay. I would get the check the day of the presentation. And you don't get the check the day of the presentation by asking for a check the day of the presentation. You get it by having it in your contract that that's what's going to happen. Right. And then reminding them before the presentation that they'll want to have their checkbook ready because at the end of the presentation, you expect a deposit check in order to place the order. And then when you're at the meeting, you say, here it is. Here's how much of a deposit I need. And I will place the order this week. And then if they want to hesitate and mess around, that's fine on the hourly fee contract. Yeah. We, we can do this all day, like all day and all night. Like you want us to do another round? Happy to. But they really never do. And with a flat fee, if, you don't, if you're not very clear on revisions, that's when you could, that, to me, that's when that could happen. So I would work on the confidence factor of selling it at that presentation. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, such good question. One of the things I'd like to do from the meetups, one of the things I think would be really valuable is for all of us to stay connected as a peer and support group. You guys obviously are all mature and serious about your business. I didn't hear any questions that sound like juniors who are just starting. Um, I hear people who are actually willing to maybe take the time to implement. Can you imagine if you guys formed a support group and decided it was time to work on systems and procedures? If each one of you took one system and then shared it, how many systems you would have in a month? You don't have to do this alone. You don't. And when you're a member of Business of Design, of course, you're going to take all the systems. They're there for you. Take them. Use them. Print them out. Bring them to the group. Talk about them. Right? Don't. You can't do it alone. You can't. There's a way to do it faster. So we asked you when you came in to give us permission to share your names with each other, which we will do. We'll follow up with an email. But if somebody will volunteer to be the point person and perhaps you set up a meeting a month from now to have a conversation about what you could do. So you two, maybe you have co-chairs. Co Joanne and Sorry. Joanne and Tani are going to take the list, okay? So they're going to take the list. Get the speakers you need to get the questions you need answered. Get a lawyer in here. Get a contractor in here. Get an insurance company in here, right? Use, use the time wisely and share with each other. Um, but not with anybody who wasn't here. Right. <laughs> One of the things that Business of Design believes is that when we elevate our business, we elevate the profession, and that's the advantage of, of sharing with meetups like today. 
Yes. So we're happy you're here. I'm thrilled you're here. Um, our next meetup is in New York City on June 14th, and that's going to be quite a big party at Fuego, which will be super fun. You're all welcome to come to New York. It will be a business write-off, which means half price for a trip to New York, which is great. We're going to do the draw. So somebody's going to win the two tickets to the Venice Design Series this weekend. $500 value. Um, and the money went to a great cause, so we were happy to purchase the tickets on behalf of everybody. Um, and thank you all for being here. Thank you so much. I appreciate thank you. It. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community. If you love what we do, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast and rating our efforts. Remember, you can be a part of the podcast by sharing your comments, ideas, and questions via the BOD hotline at 416-780-9187, extension 107, or by sending an MP3 file to info at businessofdesign.com. And when you're ready to transform your business and your life, sign up for a monthly or annual membership. Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today. Start today.